Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Caroline Stanbury, and I am divorced, not dead. I'm a former Bravo TV star and now former wife. Fresh off the back of my divorce, I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said between each other, society, the sheets, and everything in the middle. And lucky me, you'll be joining me for the journey. So buckle up. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Not Dead. And I'm really excited. Today I have um, Lucinda Hoffman. Actually, your mother was on before, wasn't she? She was. The uh, episode I did with your mother was called The Narcissist. And so actually in that, your your mum started talking about you and your life. And I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I've got a terrible memory. You're writing a book. Yeah, I've written two books. Yeah. So you're 26, you live in Sydney. And she said, you know, because of your mother's sort of bad experiences and and, and the funny thing is, well, not funny, but I, I was really interested by your mum because I couldn't believe that she actually uh, managed to choose not two, but almost three narcissists, wasn't it? It was. She just has a knack for picking them every time. But thankfully, that's all over now. How young were you? When your mother, so it was, is it your father? Yes. So your father was the, the, the first one, the obviously. First. The worst. Yeah. yeah. The worst. How was life growing up for you with a narcissist? Because I think everyone sort of thinks about the partner and maybe not so much the children. Yeah. I mean, it was really hard because having a narcissist, he was my father and having a narcissistic dad, they make the time you spend with them the most incredible kind of like a dad on steroids type vibe. So every time we were with him, which was only a few times a year when it suited him, because he lived in London, it was like everything you dream of as a kid. So when we would go to Hamley's, it would be like three, two, one, get everything you want. When we went to the Great Barrier Reef once, I was a little bit seasick. So we chartered a helicopter to take us back rather than just catching the boat. Everything was just extremely fun but then he just drop you and you don't hear from him you don't if calls didn't fit in with his schedule then poor me type thing and then I'd just be constantly wanting his attention and trying to do things to get it but if it didn't suit him then I was not in his life I guess so he would disappear for periods of time mm-hmm. this is when your mom later found out that he had other women right no so he was gay he was oh he was gay sorry it was the yeah. other one that had the other one was cheating on her the whole time that was my stepdad but my biological father when I was 
like six weeks old, mom found out that he was living a double life and was gay. So up and left. He um, passed away when I was 12 of HIV AIDS. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you ever get to have like make up your relationship or you just... I mean, I idolized him. I loved him and I still do love him so much. I think now growing up, I can see how unfair he treated me and really unfair he treated mom. But growing up, I he was my idol. I would beg for time with him. I When I was with him, I was like the perfect child because you only get these small amounts of time with him. So you don't want to ruin it. You want it to be the best time possible. And then I'd come back to mom and just be a terror and be distraught and everything. But yeah, I... Dad and I had a horrible relationship, but I loved him. And at the end, he, when he passed away, I got to spend the last eight weeks with him, which was really quite healing in a weird way. Did he sort of acknowledge what he'd done? No. Was he, he aware? No, because I think with a narcissist, they have a personality disorder. So they have no idea that they have all these traits and they can't ever be wrong. And there's that lack of empathy and everything is everyone else's fault but them. So he had no, I guess, idea that he'd really done any, anything wrong because in his eyes he worked hard to give me a private school education and a good life and everything in his eyes I think he did right. Sounds to me, I actually have a friend who found out her father was gay a, a lot later on in life too. And normally these things also happen, like the disappearing, the the buying your affection is uh, is can come down a lot of times to just loathing themselves, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't always have to be narcissistic behavior, which is when people are hiding secrets, a lot of times they hate themselves. So to push the people away that could possibly find them out is also one of the first things you may or may not do, I would have presumed, you're spinning a lie and the people that can find it out quickly enough is going to be your family, that your wife. And it took, you, you're, you're a child at this point, but you're, you're, Megan is a, a grown woman and <laughs> she hadn't seen it. Because again, with your mum, with, with all these things, I don't think she, she probably didn't want to see it at the time because you have your beautiful family, you have what you think is perfect, right? So yeah. when it all, obviously your mum found out he was gay and it all sort of broke down, is that when you became anorexic? No, so that happened when I was six weeks old. Mum found out he was gay. And then so I grew up having a very on and off relationship with dad. It wasn't until I was around nine that I started eating my feelings. I think I had a big void within me and I obviously was reaching for other things and one of them was food to kind of comfort me and also, I guess, to control my internal environment because my external environment was so out of control. And then it was around 13 that I became, that I started going through the cycle of losing weight and then gaining 20 kilos and losing 20 kilos up until I was 18. Wow. I mean, I have, my kids are around that age now and it's, it's such a sort of emotional age for them. I can't even imagine what it feels like to find out that your father is gay because well, it must be so hard to digest because yeah I mean I found to compare it to 100% I found out um I was having a sleepover I was around eight I was having a sleepover with my friend and this was back in the day when like there was no Instagram you didn't have an iPhone on you it was just chatting with your friends type thing in a sleepover and my friend was like does your dad have a girlfriend I was like no does he have a wife no and he lives with a man. I was like, yeah. And she, she was like, so he's gay. And it was just at that moment that it was like, 
wow, I can't believe I've never thought about that, but it makes so much sense. And did he ever explain it to you? Give you any uh, like sort of explanation, like sit you down, that nothing would change? No. So when I found out, so dad had made mom keep it a secret. It was like, if you tell Lucy that I'm gay, I will fight for custody. I'll take her away from you. This is not your secret. It's my secret. And so I'm always asking, you know, when your parents divorce and you're always asking, can you get back together? Why can't you be with mom? Why can't you be with dad? I found out the day before we were going to visit dad in London. And so I, the next morning I was stroppy with mom all morning and she was like, what's going on? I was like, I don't want to talk to you. And then we get on the plane and we're in economy and there's me, mom and a man next to her. And she's like, Lucy, tell me what's going on. I'm like, I know dad's gay. And the man next to her, we're boarding a 20 hour flight basically. And the man next to her is like, oh my God. And then we had the discussion and then we got to London and I, I want to know if the man moved. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been like, I'm out of here. That rose me. Uh, apparently, mama, I don't know if she's lying, but she said he spat out his drink and like was coughing and like dying. Like, oh my God. I don't remember. And then I got to London and I told dad I know. And it was basically like, there was no real conversation. It was just like, yep. He, his behavior changed a lot, which was really confusing for me. But yeah, no no sit me down, no talk me through it. It was just like, yeah, I'd like men type thing. This yeah, is my see, this is, partner. This is a man that doesn't like himself, that yeah. doesn't have warmth for himself because he hates what he's doing himself. 100%. So he can't justify it to you. Gay men I know, they, they, they're very comfortable with it. They've, they've lived with it. They've understood it. He's yeah. gone through a big, big lie. When you start having children and families with a woman, and he's not alone, that's for sure, you, you are really suppressing things and really putting them down and bottling them because you're not comfortable. You don't do it for fun. Let's face it. It can't be fun for him. If you don't like women, getting into bed every night with your wife can't be much fun, can it? You have to understand from a sympathetic side, which I'm sure at the time you definitely is, is very hard to find within yourself. But when you look back on it, he must have been completely, completely tormented too. As much as it was terrible for your mum, it's terrible for him as well. And and that's probably why he can't couldn't look at you at certain times, buys you all the things you want, then buggers off for weeks because he, he hates himself. Because he knows, you know, to bring it bring children into this world where you haven't explained I I, I have many gay friends, so I'm I'm totally open to any any which relationship you want to have. Yeah. Gay friends, lesbian friends, but how you live your life and conduct yourself when you bring children who can't understand this world yet. You don't, you haven't got the mental capacity to understand what's going on, nor should you. It's very, very, very difficult. But yeah. we're all selfish. I, hands up to that. I'm, I just went through a course and some things that I shouldn't have done or didn't explain right to my kids because it's the easier option. Running away is always the easier option, isn't it? Yeah. I had a lot of sympathy for him and I did growing up because I can look back and see how tortured dad was, how he lived so many different lives and I feel like the only time he was truly comfortable was when he was with me. He was like a kid. He was able to really relax and it wasn't about appearance. It wasn't about being a CFO or being gay or anything. It was just purely him. That's amazing that you can do that now because when you're in it, it must be very, very hurtful. But to be able to look back and give him the empathy maybe he didn't give you is cathartic and extremely grown up and sort of powerful, I would have thought, because that was your reality. But he, as you said, to live that many lives must be exhausting. 
hundred percent. I don't know how he would have kept it up. He was only 45 when he passed away and I can't imagine what his life would be like now. Well, I mean, by then he, he's, he's made his truth open. And, you know, I always say, actually, funnily enough, 45 is such a pivotal age for anyone because you actually really know yourself, you know, all these things that you're going through or been through, and you, you've got a head on your shoulder so you can see now, because I'm looking at the notes that I've been given. <laughs> yeah, you, you understand your uh, eating your feelings. You're understanding that it all stems back from this. And your, yeah. your, your mother must have, like Megan has terrible guilt because as you said she's managed to do it three times like in her own way your mum's looking for something your mum the traits of a narcissist or the things that she's looking for are traits she knows their traits and she falls for them right so we all know if a man and it's funny because I've watched it I have one girlfriend who absolutely loves this and I, I I've learned to distrust this a man that sort of showers you flowers every single day love notes all over mirrors like they just don't exist not those type of men and and it's too that's love full. bombing love bombing yes that's just uh, that's just too much but your mum sort of enjoys the love bomb mm. right well she would have craved it I think I think there was something she grew up with a narcissistic mom so then she learned to repeat those cycles and like I until I went to rehab and got therapy I was attracted to people who would love me for a minute and then absolutely disappear and treat me like crap whereas there's a lot of stable people who I could have picked but I just was not in any way interested so when you managed to sort of, well, when you started eating your feelings, as it were, mm-hmm. did it help? Did you feel it helped you? You got to control that, but everything else in your life was so out of control. I mean, yeah. how, how do you feel? Because I, anorexia is something, and I've tried to get, I tried to get my head around it because I've had a few friends that have had it. And as somebody, I, I find it so hard to understand. And I don't mean this in a rude way, but I, I want to understand it. Because for me, it's so weird. You're sitting in front of a bowl of bloody food and you think, just eat it. Just eat the bulk of the food. You can see you're sick. You're going to hospital. Your hair's falling out. This is not a good thing. Eat the baked beans. Eat the bloody beans. <laughs> you don't understand why you, they can't lift up the spoon. Explain 100%. It. Okay. So what it started off as is I, when I was little, I experienced really great trauma and I was only four years old. So I didn't have any language for what was going on. Let me just stop you one second. I think it's important and, and you know, important to explain that this is from what you went through with your mom and your dad. And, and because so many people link anorexia for only girls that have body dysmorphia and, and that want to be skinny. And this is not why you did this, right? Yeah. So my eating disorder had nothing to do with my weight or my body image on the outside. Of course it was, it was controlling that. But what it really came down to was I had so many feelings of shame and feelings. I didn't know how to process that. The only way for my mind as a child to process them was a feeling of fat or skinny. And I know that sounds really weird, but so anything I would feel instead of feeling it, there was too many scary feelings within me. I wanted to escape my body. I wanted to not feel it, suppress everything. So in order to escape my body, first of all, I ate and it was like two extremes, like secret eating. I would eat a whole loaf of bread type thing when I was little, just as an afternoon snack, like really quickly. And then I became 13 and you're in high school. I'm in an all girls private school, private school. And of course I don't want to be the chubby girl. And I, so mom took me to a dietitian and she started turning food into numbers. So then I started looking at food instead of 
food, I saw it as calculations. If I eat this and I eat that, then I can lose this amount or I'll put on this amount. And it became an obsession. And the more and more you think about it, the more those neural pathways get wired into your brain. So it's not a, a matter of rational thinking anymore. It becomes like an OCD obsession. So it's all you think about it. So from the minute I woke up in the morning, I thought about what am I going to eat? What have I eaten yesterday? How much do I weigh? Do I feel fat? Could I have weighed less? What do I want to eat for dinner? These crazy thoughts 24 seven. And if in any way I ate something that wasn't in my control or to my meal plan or out of my times, I would feel such a sense of out of control. And it was though those feelings inside me would just bubble out. And it had nothing to do with the food or my weight, even though that was what I was controlling. Did you like the attention? Maybe it got you from friends or family or did you like, even, you know, some people say when they go to the hospital, like having yeah. all the nurses around you, did you, did you enjoy that part of it for you getting that attention? So I never had that. I never knew I had an eating disorder until I literally went to rehab. I believed that I was not sick enough to be sick. At school, we only got taught that anorexia looked like a skeletal person there's a picture of like a skeletal person looking in the mirror and someone who's overweight looking back at them. And I thought that's anorexia. That's not me. Bulimia is vomiting all your meals. That's not me. I didn't think I fitted into the categories despite losing 20 kilos every year. And I never got, it wasn't until university where I got to my lowest weight that people began noticing. And then I kind of realized, wait, maybe something is wrong. I was never in and out of hospital. There was never any of that with me. It was purely till it wasn't working anymore that I realized something is really out of control and wrong with me. Did you blame your mum for a lot of this in your life, choosing the wrong men always? I definitely had a bit of anger towards her, but we we had our problems when I was a teenager because she had so much going on and I was so desperate for her attention and we were speaking different languages and I had no idea how mentally ill I was so we didn't communicate well and we just fight all the time but then when I went to rehab and we both got therapy I was able to understand that mum's choices weren't in any way she wasn't choosing to ever harm me all she ever wanted was actually the best for me she was just repeating patterns that were from her own childhood and we were able to heal and yeah there's no anger anymore but there definitely was at the beginning a little bit and then you also suffered some sort of sexual abuse when you were younger? Yeah, so when I was four to about six, I was sexually abused every second week by a, um, yeah, a family friend, my stepdad's family friend at like a family gathering, and no one knew. Mum didn't know until I went to rehab and I told her afterwards because I just never wanted to ever speak about it, and that's I think the catalyst for my eating disorder and then of course dad and dad dying and everything else added to it but that was the the root of my eating disorder is is this man in jail no no nothing ever happened because it was so far long ago that there's no evidence everyone passed away who was there and no one witnessed it I didn't speak about it there's nothing you can do about it which is disgusting yeah because you're so young, you can't even process that. With one people that are meant to take care of you, abuse that. It must be very hard for your mother as well to know that. Because I know if that happened to one of my children, I'd go yeah. over there and probably... Yeah, that um, was literally what she said. She, she was... When I told her, I think she almost had a breakdown. Like, oh my gosh, how did I not know that this happened to my little girl? 
bit. Why do you think that now coming, uh, being able to sort of deal with it in the best way you can, why do you think that children don't speak? I didn't have the language. I was four. I mean, you don't even know how to tie your shoes. And you, well, I didn't, I was a slow learner, but um, I think that you, you don't have the language and also you are, you feel shame, so much shame that it just, Income, like it swallows you whole that there's no as a child if you haven't learned any of this how do you know it's not normal yeah well I didn't know it's not normal I had no idea that's why I just suppressed even looking or thinking about anything with food because I had no way mm. to kind of understand you're not taught this is what happens when you're sexually abused so all of this came out in your therapy yes everything yeah she was that's an amazing, amazing therapist yeah I mean it sounds like so once once you sat down and it sort of all came out, had you remembered it or did you, because some people say that they, they block everything out or did it, did it just rush out or you just, or, or you, she literally. So I think all throughout my life, I'd remembered it through periods and then suppress it through some means and then just like, forget about it. Don't, don't think about it again. And I was able to just completely block it out until when she asked me, had I been abused in a very nice way? She asked me, not nice, but when she asked me, it was as though it just flooded back. Like, oh my, it was like that shock, like, oh my God, yes. And I didn't say anything. I didn't admit it for quite a while. It began to slowly flood in because I was at the point where my eating disorder wasn't working anymore. It, I was o- like, I wasn't over it, but it wasn't able to suppress anything. I was extremely depressed and anxious. Now there was no way to suppress the memories of the abuse. It was as though I just had to kind of succumb to them and then decide to heal and learn about them. So let's take a little break from the show and discuss something that's dear to all of our hearts, which is mental health, obviously, and especially the world we all live in today where life is just moving so super fast and none of us seem to have time to even tie our own shoelaces at this point. And for those of you that are sort of struggling, adjusting to the new world, um, Talkspace is an online therapy platform that can manage your help manage your stress your process your significant life changes and so many more and you can feel less overwhelmed and more in control let's face it the people around us make a huge impact on our lives and life's pressures can cause those relationships to change for the better or simply for the worst and covid was great for some relationships terrible for others moving house having babies children all of these things you know can really affect a relationship and, you know, you can talk about how frustration can grow out of relationships with friends and families and partners and things like this. Even though you love the person, we can all feel frustrated with them. And whether you're having complicated feelings about the relationship or just need a neutral person to talk to, which I think is always best than talking to a friend, which I think things can get a little bit complicated and, and people know too much. It's just so much nicer to talk to a therapist and an online one, they can connect you directly to a licensed professional to help you work through things. Personally, I think you guys will love Talkspace because if any of you are like me and you're just on the hop the whole time and you're just simply busy with just life, kids, everything else, it's another sort of appointment to take out of your time and your day. You're able to now carry your therapist literally around in your pocket, which is just genius because it's all remote. You can do it from your phone with live video sessions and so you, you can speak to your therapist wherever you are in the world. I remember when I was getting divorced, I went to see a therapist with my ex-husband and she said, well, you have to commit to me. And I'm like, 
I can't commit to coming here every week because I don't know where I'm going to be or in which country I'm going to be. So I wish this had been available to me then because it would have really helped. It's so easy with Talkspace to match to a licensed therapist. They have so many. And then you just simply schedule your session. And it works around your schedule, not theirs. It's at your convenience with live video sessions and unlimited messages. So if you need a little support to help you through the end of the year, or you want to start building towards a better upcoming year, Talkspace is here to help. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with the promo code DND. That's $100 off when you use code DND at Talkspace.com. I hope this helps you all out there. Hi, it's your friend, Alexandra Potora. I don't know if you're ready for this, but if you are, take a listen to Backbone, Not Wishbone, a podcast about business, career, money, and of course, wellness, because what good is success if we're a bunch of fucking wrecks, right? I'm sharing the most granular and specific tips and tactics for success in business and achieving wellness. So come to Backbone, Not Wishbone, let's connect and let's succeed together. And letting this all out, was it like a, like an immediate sort of relief? No. Like a band-aid, just like, oh my God. I've just- no, it was like a, a grief. I think I spent a whole year basically in bed, like crying and just processing, oh my gosh. And this is 13, right? 18. Wow. So, so, so it was old relationships, friendships, anything if you were in bed for a year? No. So probably 19 is... 1920 bed for a whole year like of course I saw them but I was spending most of my days watching tv and crying and because it, it's as though you're grieving it's the same as grieving for someone you that's died it's this weird way that you're realizing oh my gosh I was this tiny little girl and something so horrific happened to me and I've ignored it my whole life yeah and you're living in an adult's world you're living you've just lived an adult's world and lost yeah. your childhood basically. <laughs> basically where everyone else is little child is running around you're dealing with eating disorders a narcissistic father a gay father <laughs> it's like insane. <laughs> like and you yeah. seem incredibly well together from thank you how old are you now 26 yeah well, I've yeah. had you know five years of intense therapy to now be great so you're in bed for a year this obviously you know, you, you finished school you do, were you able to do your schooling how do you know how do you go to school and study with all this going through your mind I finished school. I finished year 12 and then I went to university for a year. And then I had my uh, one year of living on campus. I was like, I'm done. I can't, I had a breakdown and I couldn't, I wouldn't get out of my room. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I couldn't see my friends. And it was just, I was like, please send me to rehab. I mean, dating, parties, all this kind of stuff must be impossible with all this. And, and you don't want to share. Did you tell any of your friends at school or share this with any friends or... I was always quite open about my dad's death and their divorce. And I think everyone thought it was quite crazy that because a lot of my friends are quite mum, dad, sisters, brothers, nothing unusual happening. And then I have the dad who died of AIDS type thing. I can't even imagine what just admitting that was like. Forget the rest of it. A hundred percent. I mean, my friends still now a little bit like Lucy, please don't talk about it. Like they're not like that, but a little, it's still uncomfortable for I remember people would like stand back, like it, like it was catch, and that that's kind of that time. That was that time. Yeah, where people didn't understand how you caught it. Even it's like they thought it was yeah. like the common cold. We were all going to just catch it from each other. When Mum found out Dad was gay, the first thing she did was went to the doctor and said, "If he has AIDS, can my daughter be around him? What 
can I do? And then so she, it was good that she was so educated from the very beginning, even though he didn't admit he had AIDS, but so that she knew that you can't just catch it, that it's to treat him absolutely no differently. Yeah, no, my friends didn't really know much about my suffering because I had no idea. I had no language for what was going on. I didn't know I had an eating disorder. I thought my thoughts were normal. I thought I just wasn't skinny enough. And when I got to that skinny point, then I wouldn't think about food anymore. That I just, I just wasn't skinny enough. But when I got there, this would all be over. That was my thinking, which is so irrational. But when you're in that kind of tunnel vision where this is all you think about, you know, that's your world. And so you have depression from 18 to 26 now. Like, does life change dramatically? You decide you need to get help. You decide that you can't lead your normal life. You've left, you're leaving school. I get why you wouldn't want to be on campus. I really do. I'm sure the best of times, young boys are nightmares and you're a pretty girl <laughs> and all these things. It must affect all your relationships. Did you get a boyfriend back then? No, I had a lot of relationships that were basically like my dad. I reenacted that relationship with everyone that was all I was attracted to. And of course, that's never going to work. And so after I went to rehab, I just spent the next kind of four years, we moved to Byron Bay. And so I, which is where my rehab was. And we, I commuted every week from Sydney to Byron. So I could still see my friends, still have some sort of partying type life but also have my weekdays where I was basically in therapy, trying different things, just trying to get better because I thought if I don't nip this in the bud now, I don't want to live my life with any sort of mental illness. I don't want to be bad. I don't want to miss anything more. I'd rather just get this done as quickly and in the most thorough way possible and then be able to just kind of relax in a sense. So, I mean, you're very lucky at such a young age to have such a head shoulder because you could have turned to drugs, alcohol, these other things. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the first things my therapist told me was your eating disorder wasn't working anymore. So it really was a matter of time for something next. It was alcohol or drugs and at uni that's everywhere. So it's really a blessing that that didn't happen. Exactly. And, you know, while all the other kids are in it, maybe that is, that is a big blessing because a lot of people turn it to, to numb the pain. So you go and get help and you go into rehab. Is it one that you just, you live there for a bit? Yeah, it was seven weeks of living there. And you think that was the catalyst for you? That was the big change turning point for you? Yeah, it was the pause on life. And I got to really just for the first time in my life, I felt safe and seen and heard by a therapist. I'd seen therapists growing up, but I didn't believe in therapy. They were all, to be honest, quite damaging and really not okay for a child to be seeing the therapist that I saw. But for the first time, yeah, someone saw me and made me kind of make sense of this hell that I'd been living and I had no idea. But it then took probably a year later for me to really decide I actually don't want to have an eating disorder anymore because it's something that you can kind of say, oh, I'm recovering. But unless you actually choose to fight those thoughts and to just eat, as you know, crazy as that sounds, you literally have to just say, I'm screw it. I'm going to eat. I'm going to not listen to those crazy making thoughts. Once you make that decision, then you can really start healing. Did your mum come into the therapy, those sessions with you? All no. of them? No. no, none of them. I refuse to have um, mother-daughter therapy. No, I mean, I guess you don't want it to become about her. It's about you in the end, isn't it? I mean, she's got her own work through. I think that was finally the time in my life where I felt, wow, it's, it's about me. It's not about anyone else which was really quite healing. 
it's so important to sort of focus on yourself, as you said. And the amazing thing is, and you should, what you should be so proud of yourself, mm-hmm. is to say, I've lost enough time. It's not over. The best times are definitely ahead of you. And actually, I think doing these books and having all of this behind you, you can help so many people, which you're doing. Uh, but, you know, it's just so important to keep going forward and now live your life, live your life for you and get everything sorted in your life so that you can begin your life. You're still a young, beautiful girl. I mean, you have everything. And actually, you now have all the tools not to make these mistakes at all yeah. and and to, to know exactly what cycles to to break and to make, you know, make this life your own. I mean, literally, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you missed much. You know, the best time in my life, and you're starting at 26 now with, yeah. with an amazing head on your shoulder, is 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 now. And you've had a rough, rough ride, but I've learned in life that if you remain true to yourself and authentic, the people that hurt you never win. Your father, unfortunately, again, I think you've forgiven him from what I'm hearing and you can understand it wasn't about hurting you. You know, your mother, your mother is, it's an interest, she's an interesting case. It's a very (laughs) interesting, you know, she's, she doesn't have a mean bone in her body. She's clearly missing something herself. And I yeah. said that to her on her podcast because this is something that she's been lacking and she's needing. And she, even though she can see that these men are pretty much all the same, she still keeps making the same mistake. <laughs> but yeah. you might be the one to break this cycle. Hopefully. Hopefully. Well, I'm not attracted to them anymore. So that's, it's bro- I guess it's broken. Hopefully. Can you trust men? Yeah, I do want a boyfriend. If you want to, if anyone's listening, want to set me up, set me up, feel free. But Everyone no, listen to Sydney just before I get a million phone calls. She's in <laughs> Sydney. So if you're living in Dubai, London, America, or whatever, don't call me. <laughs> I can travel. I'm so up for traveling. We're in lockdown at the moment, so get me out of here. But you've got a great, you see, that great attitude. It's a really good non-victim-like attitude which yeah. I think is so important. You know, I know people with things that have happened far less in their lives than you've just been through, let me tell you. And they sit in a corner and expect everything just to happen for them. So you should, you know, yeah. really, I'm mean, really, really impressed that you have this beautiful, sort of positive, happy, smiley attitude on you having been through so much because you can't blame yourself. You can't change it. Being depressed won't make it go away dwelling on it again uh, easier said than done I'm, I'm I completely understand that I think your therapist has taught you how to compartmentalize and deal with things now yeah. you can move forward and you can move forward and having dealt with it must be just amazing yeah. how is your relationship now with your mum it's great she's literally in the room next door I love her it's the best it's ever been I think most people are really envious of how close we are it's almost like she's my sister now yeah, it's, she's absolutely great. Oh, she's just really taught me that you can't choose what happens to you in life, but you can choose how you react to it, which I think is really important. That's absolutely the most, that's exactly what I just said. The most important, yeah. your reaction to it is what is going to be the making of you. And you have, as I said, a very, very beautiful way about you. And you will go on to have a beautiful family with a beautiful man. And you will not repeat these things. And you'll know exactly what to look out for. And and I love that it hasn't made you bitter. It hasn't, you don't sound bitter. You don't sound angry. You sound sort of like, okay, 
it's just, that was the hand I was dealt. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be here right now if that hadn't happened. And I get to now work with amazing young girls and their families and help them feel better and help them heal from what they're going through. And I get to write and yeah, my life would not be how it is today. So tell me now what you do. I've written two books, which are with my agent. They're just not published yet. We can't find, I haven't found the right publisher. And I am studying psychology at uni. Are they help books or just about your life? Explain to people. They're two memoirs. One is a memoir on my eating disorder to basically explain to people what an eating disorder is and how to recover from it. And then the second memoir is my journey of healing from child sexual abuse. Do you speak to young girls? Because coming from a young girl to another young girl, must your voice must really count. Yeah. So at the moment I've started consulting with families and also mentoring young girls, of course, in, a, in conjunction with having a therapist and a psychiatrist, I'm there more for someone to relate to them, kind of like a buddy to be like, you're not alone. This is what I went through. This is what you're now going through and giving them my tips and also explaining to the parents kind of decoding the language of an eating disorder it is like you're speaking another language so things like when someone is recovering from eating disorder and you're putting on weight and your parents go to you you're looking so healthy now for that for the person with an eating disorder that is the worst thing you could tell them like that is just they would hate that and that would start a world war ii but i come in and explain that your child isn't going to hear that you're actually really happy that they're finally healthy and eating all they're going to hear is an insult type thing something like this, it's very hard to do. And I think it's extremely important in today's world. So you should really, really feel proud of yourself. Thank you. Oh, I just wanted to say, I listened to um, your podcast with your daughter on it. And I just wanted to say that you've raised such a strong daughter in such a obvious, like I have no idea what your family life is actually like, but I could hear in her voice when you asked her about her eating and she straight away was like, I'm fine. I don't know about anyone else, but I've got a fast metabolism and I'm fine. And what I heard in that was this inner confidence and this safety and this strength that even if she's a teenager and she's faking or whatever, you can't fake the way that her conviction about how okay she was within herself. And I thought that was, that really comes down to, I think, you and your husband's parenting in a big way. Yeah, I think she's she's an interesting case. You know, she is because I'm very Peter Pan and childlike, I think she is very, very strong in her ways. And and I guess she gets that from me as well. She's, you know, I worry that only not because she's, I always say it's nothing to do with her size. I just literally worry she could live off Kentucky fried chicken every (laughs) day and and soda if if I gave her the chance. That's it. She is tiny. I don't know how. That's why I stay out of it. I absolutely stay out of it. I would like her to eat a vegetable at some point, but you know, (laughs) Again, I don't want to cause, I don't know what causes anorexia or bulimia. I don't, I definitely don't want to cause that or make her feel, I have a son right now. Here you go. He's 11 and every day he comes back and he says, mommy, I'm fat. Or I'm, you know, he went to a party this weekend and he said, I'm the, I was the fattest in the pool. And I said, I said, but you're beautiful and you're just, you know, you play sports. He's, he's a, you know, he's, I said, you know, my, my brother was a bit of his shape before went a bit wide first and then they kind of shoot up, I think, in their yeah. teens. He's 11 now, so I think between 13 and whatever, they go upwards, right? Yeah, that's a really crappy age. Yes, and he sits forward and he gets this roll of fat, which he pinches him. But we all have that. But I don't know what to say to me. He asked me to go on a diet and I said, absolutely not. 
You know, don't need him on the diet. You're doing sport. He just sport three times a week. Then I decided I had to listen to him. He's like, just will you not send all the chocolates to school with me and then this and then that for lunch. So I, today I sent him with pea and mint soup and chicken. I mean, I'll do it for as long as he wants, but I, I, I don't know whether that's the right way to go. I don't know children and these kind of things. I mean, he was not yeah. the one I was expecting. And then my daughter <laughs> is absolutely fine. Yeah. But you know, he's the one that's more, most sensitive with me. And what you said about trying to get your parents' attention, you know, I work 16 jobs. My children are dying for my attention too. And I see that as well. It's really hard. It's such a hard balance because your mum is a single mum. Although yeah. I have this life and everything else, and I have Sergio now, I'm still a single mum because Sergio's amazing, but he's not their dad, right? So, 100%. You know, they want your attention. And when I get home from work and you're tired, like any mother at the end of the day, and you've been working, you've got, I mean, your mother's had you. I had three, I have three different individuals that want three different right. pet toys. Being a parent is so hard. And the trouble is the guilt your mum must feel now, yeah. wishing that she'd seen it then, must be unbearable for her. Unbearable. And it's so great that you've let all let that go. Go on. Yeah. No, just she had a lot of therapy and that was able to, so she was able to move through it. Yeah. She couldn't have dealt with that on her own. No one wants to subject their ch child to that. And you want your children to be children and to feel like you took their childhood in any way. And, I str and I, I'm not putting it on just on your mum. I struggle with it myself. Like I struggle with being present because I'm bloody exhausted half the time. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm literally doing circles because I have about two minutes to make money before I'm over the hill. I've got to make the money. It, your mum, we have to pay for all of us. So, you know, it's a very, very, very difficult balance. But, you know, I'm super, super, as I said, impressed by you, your mom, you. how you've achieved everything together. You know, you can only, as I said, you get the best relationship. You don't hate her. You're not angry at her. This is an amazing thing. And, and you two will do amazing things together. And I really, really have loved this conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. I love this too. Well, I hope you get your books published off the back of this. If anyone's listening, publish Thank you. them. <laughs> please, please. Young girl to young girl. I think a book like yours would be really important for, for young girls and should be published. So if anyone's listening Thank in the you. States, the publishing company or knows anyone, please get in touch with, with Lucinda and get these Thank on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be on here. Thank you for listening to Divorce Not Dead. Tune in next Wednesday for a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear from you. Follow me on social media at, at Caroline Stanbury for all the behind-the-scene action. 